0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Put yourself in this situation. You go into work tomorrow and your boss calls you in and he says, I've got some bad news. Uh, Because of cutbacks, we're going to have to lay you off. Effective immediately. Your mind begins to race. You're thinking of the $700 a month house payment that you have. You're thinking that just six weeks ago you put your middle school daughter in braces and you've got a $3,000 orthodontist bill staring you in the face. You've got a car payment that's due. Every month. You had to re-roof your house last summer, so you liquidated all of your savings to do that, so you have no savings to pull back on. You have just put your middle school daughter in a Christian school because she was having problems adjusting at the public middle school. Uh, She was being picked on, wasn't fitting in. She's been in middle school now, in the Christian school, for about six weeks, and she loves it. And you're thinking, how in the world can we keep her? In the private Christian school now. And all of these things are racing through your mind. You're thinking about losing your house, losing your car, having to yank the braces off your daughter's teeth and send her back to public school. And is there any way in this kind of circumstance you can have peace? I mean, in this kind of of anxiety, can you be free from worry? Can you have an inward contentment, a sense of well being that starts deep down within your spirit and flows up into your soul? Can you honestly say, in this kind of circumstance, it is well with my soul? The answer is yes. As Christians, we can, in the most adverse circumstances, we can have. Peace. Today we're looking at the peace of God and peace with God. Jehovah Shalom. The first time Jehovah Shalom is mentioned is over in the book of Judges. It has to do with Gideon. You remember at the time of the Judges, the Midianites were terrorizing the Israelites. Gideon, in fact, was in a wine press trying to thrash out wheat. So he could have something to eat for fear the Midianites would come in and steal it away because that's what they would do. They would let the Israelites plant and cultivate. And then when it came time to bring in the harvest, they would sweep in and reap the harvest that they would not worked for. So Gideon was afraid of this. And then the angel of the Lord came to him and tells him that he's going to use Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And they have a conversation and Gideon realizes something special is going on. And so he says, let me go get an offering and bring it here. Don't leave. So he goes and gets some some unleavened bread and he prepares meat for the offering. And he places it there on the rock before the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord takes his staff and he touches the rock. And fire comes up from the rock and devours the meat uh, and devours the unleavened bread. And Gideon immediately realizes he's been in the presence of God. And the Old Testament, they knew if you were in God's presence, it was death. You would die. No man can see God and live. And so here Gideon is realizing, I've been in the presence of God. I'm going to die. And he is literally afraid for his life. And the angel of the Lord says to him, Peace, Gideon. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. And then Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and he named it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And you and I, though we may be going through awful outward circumstances and even be torn up on the inside, falling apart, things may be going haywire in your life you can still know the God of peace and have the peace of God. That brings us to our passage in Philippians chapter 4. Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. This passage includes what's called an incluso in hermeneutical terms, which basically means that The passage is bracketed by two similar phrases. And everything in between those phrases is included. And what we're going to see in our passage is we have the phrase, the peace of God, and then at the end we have the God of peace. Notice as we begin in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things here it comes and the god of peace will be with you did you see it in verse 7 the peace of god and in verse 9 the god of peace but today we're going to be talking about practicing the peace of god how to have the god of peace and the peace of god in your life Well, first, we must have peace with God. There is no way we can have the peace of God if we do not have peace with God. And to talk about this, we're going to look over in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22, where Paul talks about how a person can have peace with God. Beginning in verse 19 of Colossians 1. He says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, that is, all the fullness of deity, to dwell in Him, that is, in Christ Jesus. And through Him, that is, Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. First, we are born enemies of God. Paul uses several terms to express this reality that when we're born into this human race, we're born enemies of God. He first uses the word alienated from God. This word means to be estranged. When you're born into this human race, you're born estranged from God. Even that little baby in that crib is estranged from God. Next he says, hostile in mind. And the word in the Greek is hatred. We hated God. We are an enemy of God. And again, you're probably thinking, well, preacher, I didn't hate God. I don't ever remember hating God. Well, that's because you're looking at it from your standpoint. But God says you hated him. Now, who are you going to believe? You or God? He says, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. You see, the truth is, we're all sinful. You see, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're born into this human race estranged from God, hostile toward Him in mind, engaged in evil deeds. It doesn't take long for that baby to manifest that selfish willfulness. And that baby cries because that baby will not get its way. doesn't take long, does it, to see that willfulness come out. It's our sin nature. We're all that way, born estranged from God in rebellion against Him. But God has done something To make peace with us who are at war with Him. Verse 20 says, And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. God has made peace through the blood of His cross. Jesus has taken that holy anger of God about our sin, and He has taken it upon Himself. God has placed His holy anger on the Lord Jesus and making way for us to have peace with God. You see, our sin issue was what caused the enmity between us and God. And so if we are going to ever have peace with God, that sin problem has got to be dealt with. It somehow must be removed. You and I can't remove it. Once you have sinned, you cannot ever undo that sin. You cannot remove that sin. You could kill somebody and for 50 years, you could never commit any other sin, you would still be a murderer. Because you killed that first person. You could tell one lie and then not tell another lie for 75 years. But you'd still be a liar. Because you told that first lie. And so God had to do something about the sin problem. And what He did was He took it and He placed it on the Lord Jesus. He became sin for us. And in doing so, He accomplished our redemption. He paid and ransomed us away from our sin through the price of His precious blood. He received the punishment we deserved. And therefore, it was possible for us to be set right with God. As Paul said over in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Any true peace must start with peace with God. You can not have peace if you don't have peace with God first. As we, by faith, trust Jesus to be our peace offering to God the Father. Trust Him to have been our substitute. To have taken our place on the cross. Surrender to Him as our Lord. Then we have peace with God. God declares peace with us. He says we're at peace now. There's no enmity between us. Your sins have been wiped away. They've been forgiven. You are justified just if I'd never sinned. And we have the peace with God. Now, when we have peace with God, we can begin to practice the peace of God. And that takes us back to Philippians chapter 4. There are three things involved in having the peace of God, in practicing that peace, in having this sense of contentment and well-being even in the most adverse and difficult situations. First, you must be involved in right praying. Secondly, you must be involved in right thinking. And thirdly, you must be involved in right living. Any one of the three is not enough. You've got to do all three. Right praying, right thinking, right living. First, right praying. Verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Literally, don't worry about one thing. That's what for nothing in the Greek is, not one thing. And do not worry about one thing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not just any kind of praying is going to bring peace. It must be the right kind of praying. And Paul tells us here what that right kind of praying is. First, it must involve adoration. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything... By prayer. Now, that word prayer is a Greek word prosuke, which has as its root meaning the idea of worship. To come to God to worship Him. To come into God's presence to love Him. To adore Him. To enjoy His presence. You come into His presence in prayer to meet the person, the Prince of Peace. You see, just rushing into God's presence and begging for peace of mind will not result in peace of mind. We must first bow before Him in worship, fixing our eyes on Him. First, adore Him. King Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. And he got word that three enemy nations were charging against him to make war. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Midianites. And he knew that he was outnumbered greatly. He knew there was no way he could defeat these three invading armies. And so he sends word out through all Judah for them to fast and to pray. And then he brings the people together in Jerusalem, and he offers up a prayer to God. And I want you to see how he starts off this prayer under this most duressing situation. And he said, Second Chronicles twenty verse six, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands, so that no one can stand against you. Now what's he doing? What's he doing at the beginning of this prayer? He's adoring God. Are you not the God of the heavens? Yes. Are you not the God of all the nations? Yes. Are you not the God that's in control and has power over all things and no one can stand against you? Yes. That's adoration. You see, adoration is so important when we come to God and we're under duress and we're anxious and we're worried because the adoration takes our focus off of the problem and puts it on the person. It puts it on God. You see, you take your focus off of your situation and you begin to focus on God and how great He is. And that's the first step of that prayer that brings peace. When something happens and you're beginning to be fretful and worry and anxious, go into God's presence and first of all, concentrate on Him. On adoring Him second part of that prayer, the right kind of praying, is supplication. Paul goes on to say, And everything by prayer and supplication. And that means earnest, sincere desire of the heart. Yes, you go to God, and once you have focused on Him and adored Him, then you lay out your concern before Him. You say, God, this situation is tearing me up. I'm just being torn to shreds on the insides. So Lord, I just am having great difficulty. Share your heart. Share your burden with Him. Express your deepest heartfelt desires. That's what this word supplication means. But that's not enough. Adoration and supplication are not enough. But the third element is the key. With thanksgiving, He says. You come to God, bring in your problem, bring in the issue... And you lay it before Him, but you do so with thanksgiving. This is the sacrifice of thanksgiving that we read about in Scripture. That means you thank God when you don't see any reason to. When everything looks just the opposite of being thankful, you thank Him anyway. God, this is an awful problem. I've lost my job. Uh, My car is about to be repossessed. I'm losing my house. And yet, I thank You in this situation. What? What? That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Are we crazy? It's a position of faith. It's a stance of faith to thank God in adverse situations. To thank God when there seems to be no reason to thank God is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And it's called a sacrifice of thanksgiving because you must sacrifice your mind, first of all, because you can't see any reason. You can't think of any reason to thank God. Secondly, you've got to sacrifice your emotions because you surely don't feel thankful. Anything but. And thirdly, you must sacrifice your will because you really don't want to thank God. But in obedience and faith, you will thank God for your situation. Daniel was taken away from his home when he was but a teenager and taken far away by King Nebuchadnezzar to the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel was a faithful Jewish boy. He prayed to God three times a day. Well, his enemies... Found out about that, and so they went to the king, and they said, King, you you need to make a law. People shouldn't be praying to anybody but you. And he thought about it, and he thought, well, I guess that sounds pretty good. Well, what should I do to them if they do? And his uh, advisor said, throw them in the lions then. Let the lions eat them up. Well, he thought, well, I guess that's okay, so he wrote out the law. Well, word got back to Daniel that if he prayed to his God, he was going to be thrown... In the lion's den. Sudden death. Certain death. Now, what would you have done? Would you have stopped praying? Would you have maybe gone in the closet and locked the door? Turned off the light and prayed so nobody would see it? Well, look at what Daniel does over in Daniel 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows opened toward Jerusalem. He didn't go in the closet. He got on top of the house so everybody could see. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. Now look, praying and what? Giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. Not only did he keep praying, but he kept thanking God. Knowing, knowing that it was certain he was going to be thrown in the lion's den, he prayed and thanked God anyway. Now you think he was all anxious, you think he was all fretful, you think he was all upset, or you think he had the peace of God. Well, there's no indication in the passage he had anything but God's peace. And you know the story. God threw him into, he, I mean, the king threw him into the lion's den. Now it's interesting, the old king couldn't sleep that night. As far as we know, Daniel slept like a baby in the lion's den. And he didn't get one hair on his head harmed at all. God sent his angels and closed the mouth of the lions. Daniel had peace because he had thanksgiving. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 picks up on this same theme. And what I want you to see in this passage is how the peace of God is associated with thanksgiving and giving thanks. Notice how many times in this short passage, peace... And thanksgiving to mention, Colossians 3, beginning with verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and, here's the first time, be thankful. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, here it goes, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here comes again, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. The right kind of praying involves not only adoration, not only does it involve supplication, but it involves thanksgiving. God, I thank You in this situation because I know you will work all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. I don't see it, I don't understand it, but thank you that doesn't matter. It doesn't hinder you being able in your power and in your wisdom to bring good in this situation, for you to be glorified and for you to make me more like Christ. And look at what he says. If you will pray this way, he says, and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See that word guard? It's the word garrison. It's the word for a sentry that would stand guard. He's saying that if you will pray this way, that God's peace will be a sentry, a guard outside of your heart and mind to keep worry away. Isn't that a great picture? To have God's peace marching back and forth across your heart and mind to keep worry away. But not only right praying, there's something else you got to do. He'll keep those thoughts from coming in, but you know what? you got to deal with the thoughts inside. Your own thoughts. And that involves right thinking. That's next. Right thinking. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. And what do we do? First, we must not think on the bad. And that's what we normally do. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Our tendency is to think on the bad. It's just the way it runs. It's just our natural bent. You go to have a test run. You go in to have the x-ray. You notice the x-ray technician kind of has a frown on on his face. You say, uh-oh, he saw something. Must be bad. And you got it worked up. You got cancer. Before you even talked to the doctor, you got cancer. How many of us have waited on tests? And we waited and we waited and they called and they, well, it's not in yet. And you just knew you had cancer. I knew a fellow one time that convinced himself he had colon cancer. I think mean, he was having some kind of pains in his stomach. And so he went on the internet, and he looked up all the symptoms of colon cancer, and he convinced himself he had colon cancer. He told me, I know I got colon cancer. I got all the symptoms. He went to his doctor, and his doctor tried to tell him it was nothing, but he would not be deterred. He said, no, I want to have the test I need to have to see if I got colon cancer. And so his doctor ran the test. Did he have colon cancer? No. Not at all. We just tend to think of the worst, don't we? The other night, uh, one of my boys had gone out uh, on a date and, and I was looking at the news and they said we've had breaking news that there's been a car accident on Dallas Highway. Well, I knew he was out on Dallas Highway. And they even had the helicopter there, you know, and it was going over the scene. And you know what I was doing? I was looking, buddy. I was looking for his, his truck. I was seeing if I could see his guy. Now, it was a truck there, but I could tell it wasn't the right kind. But you know, that's just what you think thinking. You know, your kid goes away and ten minutes later you hear a siren. what do you think? Uh-oh, they've been in a wreck. Our natural tendency is to think the negative, to think bad thoughts. Well, first of all, we must stop this negative thought patterns. The guy thinks, man, I'm going to lose my house. we got to yank the braces off my daughter. we got to yank Janka out of the Christian school. We're losing our car. We don't have anything to eat. My insurance is gone and we get sick. And you know, you just keep going and going and going. And you're just so tied up in knots, you just can't stand it. We must refuse to entertain these negative thoughts. They are from the enemy. Paul calls them vain imaginations over in 2 Corinthians. Vain imaginations. Things that never come true. That we worry and worry and worry about. 90% of the things you worry about never come true. 90%. Never happen. We just burn useless energy. You must refuse to think on the negative. The enemy wants to rob you of peace, and he will do so if you would dwell on negative things. I refuse to think these bad thoughts. That's what you got. I refuse it. You say, well, I can't just quit thinking. Although some of your wives tell me you ain't started thinking yet. But anyway, if you're one of those who does think, then you can change your thoughts. Change your thoughts. How you do that? He says, dwell on the good things. Well, I can't think of anything good. Well, He says, dwell on that which is honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute and excellence. Anything worthy of praise, now think on these things. Well, I can't think of anything. My life just is so bad. Well, then think on the Word of God. Because God's Word meets all these qualifications. If you look in Psalm 19, Look at how it meets these qualifications. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. So you want to think on something that's perfect and sure and right and pure and enduring forever and true and righteous? Think on God's Word. Think on the promises of God. Get into His Word. Let your mind dwell on these things, not on the negative. And then secondly, be spiritually minded. Paul said in Romans 8.6, He said, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. You want peace? Have the mind set on the Spirit. What does that mean? To be spiritually minded. I think it means to see things from God's viewpoint. You know, we get so myoptic in our vision. So nearsighted. You know, we just can see right here what's going on. And we don't step back and get God's perspective on it. It's all about eternity and God's eternal plan. We need to pull out of the moment and say, God, give me your perspective. I want to see this from your viewpoint. He's in control. He's working out his plan. God, you're my source, and I'm looking to you. Right praying, right living, excuse me, right thinking, and thirdly, right living. Verse 9 The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. That means live them. Live in accord with God's Word. If there's anything in your life you cannot pray about, then you need to stop doing it. And you'll never have God's peace until you do. You cannot live in sin and have peace in your life. You just cannot do it. Peace does come from living rightly before God. Paul says the things you have learned and received. It's not enough just to know it in your head just to learn it, but you got to receive it in your heart. you got to receive God's truth in your heart and then live it in your life. He says, "...the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in Me." He saw Paul living out the Word of God. Paul was a living testimony of God's righteousness. Paul lived it. And you and I, if we're going to have the peace of God, we must live the Scriptures. We must live in obedience to God. We must live in under His Lordship in our lives. Apart from that, there will be no peace in your life. Two verses out of Isaiah, three verses out of Isaiah make this clear. In Isaiah 32, 17, And the work of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness, quietness, And confidence forever. You want peace? You want confidence? You want quietness in your soul? Then live righteously. That's what righteous living will do. It will give you peace. It will give you quietness and contentment. Isaiah 48, 18. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. God's talking to Israel. Then your peace would have been like a river. And your righteousness like the waves of the sea. You want peace like a river? Then obey God. Walk according to His Word. Bring your life in line with His Word. That's where you'll find peace like a river. And then in that same passage, God says in verse 22, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There will be no peace if you're living in disobedience to God. If any known willful sin in your life, Forget about peace. In fact, God's Spirit will agitate you and keep you miserable so you'll get rid of that sin and get obedient so you can have peace. Now, this has somewhat been academic for you, but we're going to make it real practical now. Marshall Thurman found out in November he was without a job. He went from November to June without a job. I'm going to ask him to come up and share with you a word of testimony about how you can have God's peace in circumstances like this, Marshall, come right up. You're going to see it lived out firsthand. The peace of God and the God of peace. Marshall.
1: Pastor A.T. called me yesterday and asked me to speak. And uh, It was about this time last year that uh, uh, I lost my job with Canada Life after 15 years. I thought I was going to be retiring from there and uh, found out that was not to be the case. So I went, I went back yesterday afternoon and went through uh, my journal as a part of my devotions. I read a passage of Scripture and then kind of write down what the Lord has kind of shown me in those passages. So I went, I went back and uh, wrote down uh, one of my prayers from that time. And I just want to read that and then I'll expound on it a little bit. But this is November the 29th. It says, uh, Father, this week my job ends with Canada life. A part of my life is over. What I will do next is uncertain. Yet I believe it is uncertain only to me, for you know. Not only do you know, you hold the future in your hands. So I ask for the faith to trust you and to follow where you lead. If the interval between the job is long or short, give me the faith to keep trusting. Don't let me waver in my trust. Give me the faith to keep trusting. Don't let me waver in my hope. My tendency, my natural attitude is to worry and to fear. And even now, I feel it starting to rise up. Be depressed and discouraged, and I feel that creeping in too. Help me fight to fight faith. And then there were the words that I read that morning, which were these. uh, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey. The Lord has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. And so uh, that morning, I just asked the Lord help me to hold on to those promises. And uh, I would like to say that every day I had that perfect peace. Uh, that would not be true. You would all go running to Brenda and find out <laughs> very quickly that <laughs> that was not true. I did not always practice right thinking and right praying. But what I did find was each morning as I was reading Scripture, that God was speaking. And I would see promises like, do not be afraid, don't be discouraged, cast your fears upon me, uh, cast your anxieties upon me. Uh, and as we were sharing in Sunday school, I knew people were praying for me. And, and the Lord would do things to encourage me through the scripture every day, through this body. Uh, one day I went to the mailbox and there was a check from Westside where someone had... The Lord had just led them to to give a love offering to me and Brenda. And what encouragement that was that I didn't need a job that God could provide, even in the midst, even in the midst of my weakness. Uh, I remember Joe Allender coming up here in this very spot and telling how uh, God had provided for uh, Renee to be able to have surgery when they didn't have the funds. And what an encouragement that was. And so what I found was. God leading me and showing me I could trust in Him. And He would. He would provide. And He would take care. In His time, in His way, he, he did exactly that. Six months, uh, severance pay was gone. Uh, everything was, that I leaned on at the very beginning was gone. But He was there. And He was faithful. And His words were true. Uh, the Lord was with us. And we had not lacked anything.
0: Thank you, Marshall. The same God of peace and the same peace of God, Marshall had, can be yours. Let's pray.